welcome to the Families Voices podcast. Our podcast today is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. The Family Voices podcast is a series of conversations with families of young children with a developmental delay or disability. We aim to build parents' knowledge, skills and confidence in navigating early childhood services and supports. The podcast is also an opportunity for families to share their stories. This podcast series is brought to you by Early Childhood Intervention Australia, VicTAS. We're a membership-based organisation that's proudly worked alongside families, practitioners and other organisations that provide supports for young children with disability or developmental delay and their families for over 35 years. To learn more about the podcast and our organisation, please visit ekiavic.org.au. Hello, I'm Kerry Bull on Family Voices and it's my pleasure to introduce you to Kate Strom. Hello, Kate. Hi, Kerry. Great to have you on board. Kate, I understand that you're the founder and the chief executive officer of, of Siblings Australia and I'd love to hear about the work you're doing there. Um, but first, could we could we start at the beginning and, and for you to tell us about why this area of promoting supports for siblings or people with a disability is so important to you? Sure. And really, I'd had a number of different careers as a hospital scientist and as a journalist and a health educator and counsellor. And and at one point um, in the late 1990s, uh, my husband had sabbatical in the U.S., And I had started to explore my own experiences as a sibling to an older sister with cerebral palsy. And after coming across some organisations over there, decided that I really wanted to set up something here back in in Australia. And the head of psychological medicine at the Women's and Children's Hospital in Adelaide supported me, which was amazing. And from that time, I guess my own experience has taught me and also talking to so many other siblings, parents, professionals, has taught me how important this is. And it's important not only for the mental health and well-being of the sibling themselves, but it's also helpful for parents who can often feel stressed and, and lacking confidence in how they can support all their children with all the com- competing demands. But I think also... Very importantly, this is the longest relationship that the person with disability will have. And if we can support that relationship from an early age, that's going to have huge benefits for the person with disability in terms of well-being, social inclusion, and even safety across their lifetime. And we know that early intervention, preventive approaches also have longer-term benefits for the whole community as well. Mm. So, yes, I, it, for me, it's really a no-brainer. Why wouldn't we support these children and then adults who are dealing with these experiences at a very young age when they may not have the capacity to manage the, the, mm. the different stresses that they might experience? Mm. 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's a really great point you make, Kate, about it being often the the longest relationship, the sibling relationship, and, and why that's important. Do you mind expanding a bit on your own experience? You talked about having a sister with uh, cerebral palsy. Can you tell us a bit more about your experience? Sure. I came from a very loving family, and my sister was four years older than me. And certainly there was a lot of stress in the family, even though we were a very close, very loving family and we had lovely extended family. But there was a lot of stress and I developed a lot of anxiety, which uh, got worse as I got older. And it took me a long time. I went to see a lot of people to try and work through what my issues were in my teens and then in my 20s and even into my 30s. And had a lot of trouble finding anyone who might explore that with me and finally found a therapist who did. And they were able to really help me understand the grief and the guilt and the other big feelings that I'd had as a young child and didn't have the capacity to manage. And that didn't mean that those big feelings around grief, guilt, whatever, went away. But because I then understood them and could accept them, Uh, It was a very, I guess, a very strong process of acceptance and understanding that was most important. And in my own journey, it was very much around forgiving the little eight-year-old that was me and going back and having some compassion for her and realising that, you know, she didn't have the tools at that age to understand. I was the only other child and in many ways I knew that I was very much loved and wanted, but my sister got so much more attention than me. So it was very hard for me to understand that. It was hard for me to understand why she got away with things that I didn't. And I felt pretty isolated, not having anybody that I could talk to. Um, I think often siblings, you learn that you don't want to add to the stress of parents. And so you suck it up in many ways and, and just try and move on. But it does catch up for some people, and certainly in talking with a lot of other siblings, they experience some of those same things. Mm. And I then went on to write a book about it, um, which was also quite um, uh, amazing. And I just didn't think I could ever write a book when I first started the process, but eventually I did. And, and uh, it's been such a rewarding experience and um, mm-hmm. have you know, heard from people around the world around how it's been such a healing thing for them to read it. Mm-hmm. Well, Kate, um, you say it was pivotal for you in terms of writing the book. Also, for those of us who have read it, it was a really important piece of work back then. Thank you for sharing with us that that, that personal experience and, and particularly kind of naming some of that grief and guilt that the eight-year-old you felt We know that siblings respond to their family circumstances in many ways and at different times in their life. Can you talk a bit about the range of ways that you understand that siblings of children with a disability or developmental delay might respond when they're very young um, and how that might change over time? Yes, and, you know, as as you know, all sibling relationships can be pretty complex and Mm. ever-changing, and and that's more so than if one of the children has a disability. And, and yes, all families are very different, and it depends on so many different factors. It will depend on the sibling's personality. Some kids, things just flow over them. Others become more stressed. It depends on the disability of the brother or sister with 
with disability, what their behaviour is like, what their communication is like, all of those sorts of things. It depends on how families are coping, parents, how they manage it, depends on other people in their extended family and, and wider supports. So it depends on a number of things. But I think the very common thing that, are, that adult siblings certainly talk about in terms of their own childhood experience was that they were quite confused. They didn't have the information they needed. They were isolated. They didn't have people they felt they could talk to. They felt less important in the family. That you know, The other child seemed to get all of the concern and care of parents. And they're often then, part of the difficulty is that they're either given the message by others that they should feel lucky and that they need to be a good girl because mum or dad are stressed, or they take that on themselves and take on that responsibility in a way to make things right. And there's been quite a bit written about the parentification of siblings and how, you know, we see that parents are stressed and we want to make things right. We want to make up for the, the stresses that they're experiencing with their brother or sister. And so I think there's a mix of things that can happen. Then as they get a little bit older, they might you know, need to deal with other people's reactions. And we wish things weren't that way, but, you know, children can be quite cruel in the playground and can say things and, and siblings there may not know how to respond to that. So there's a number of stresses for them. As they move into the teen years, then they start to think more about the future. And then obviously in adult years, there's greater complexity as they start to develop their own lives and then try and balance the roles that they might have with their family of origin, with their own children uh, and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yes, there's, as you say, there's a range of experiences, but if they're given appropriate information and are listened to and understood, then they can really take positive things from their experience as well. Yeah, I, and I'd like to, us to talk about those positive experiences as well because certainly um, from the, all the families that I hear from but also what I know of the research, there are positive experiences and outcomes as well. So it would be, it'd be great for us to talk about that. But I'd like to talk a little bit about, I guess, strategies that, that parents can put into place. You've talked about these very natural or big feelings that the children might have and that you were managing as a, as a little girl. Um, we know there are emotions that a lot of siblings might have. What kind of things can parents be thinking about putting into place to support their children with those feelings? I think in terms of their feelings, the really important thing is giving them permission to express those feelings and if not openly uh, at least be expressing them in some way, whether that's written or drawn or talking to somebody outside the family. But ideally, if they can talk to parents about some of those feelings and that they can feel listened to and understood. Now, that doesn't mean that they have carte blanche to behave in any way that they want to. But I think parents, if they can say to a child, yeah, look, I understand that you're frustrated that we've had to cancel the picnic again. I'm so sorry about that. Um, you know, maybe I can make it up to you in this way or whatever. But to allow that child to have those feelings, otherwise children can often grow up thinking that 
they're bad kids um, because they feel that way. And they're very normal, natural things for children to feel, to feel sadness about, you know, what their brother or sister is going through or sadness that they don't have a brother like their friend down the street does or to feel sadness for their brother or sister and the struggles that they have every day. So they're, they're big feelings where you might feel huge care and concern for your brother or sister, but you might also resent them from time to time. And look, other brothers and sisters can do that all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, they can very easily um, say that they hate their brother or sister or that, you know, I wish you'd drop dead or whatever. And, and no one blinks an eye at that, but I think it's a very emotional thing for parents if they hear a child say, you know, oh, you stupid boy, you know, stupid whatever they might say, I think it evokes a different reaction in parents. Naturally, they're very protective of the vulnerable child, but these children need to be able to express their anger. So, again, there can be limitations in that, that I understand you're angry with your brother and I'd be frustrated too, but, you know, you don't call him stupid or you don't hit him over the head or you don't do this but they understand the feeling is okay. Mm. And I think sharing their own feelings, sometimes parents can share their own feelings about, you know, you know, mummy feels sad today and, you know, but we'll go and see grandma later. That always makes us feel better. And and being able to help children find ways to self-soothe and to manage some of those emotions, but also giving them information so that they understand what's going on and at an age-appropriate level, obviously at four years of age, they don't need a a huge genetic explanation, but they do need to understand what the impact of the disability is on the child. And and I think also engaging with professionals to help that relationship if the child with disability has communication difficulties. You know, a brother or sister might think that their brother doesn't love them because they don't respond to them or whatever, but trying to find ways that those children can connect because the more we nurture that relationship at an early age, the better that's going to be for everybody. But the sibling needs those reassurances that they're okay and that you understand their feelings, but they also need some tools to manage some of those other things that they might come across. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It sounds to me like you're coming back to this notion of understanding and acceptance that you mentioned very early in the the podcast. You, You also mentioned parents nurturing their children's relationships how can parents go about doing that look I think it's about it's really related to that um giving children permission and look I can you know I often tell this story and I'll tell it here because I think it does show it very well when my sister um when we were little she would often hit me in spite of the fact that she had quite significant disability she could be quite strong and she would hit me and I'd hit her back and my mum would say oh don't do that she can't help it which was like a red rag to a wounded bull you know just as far as I could tell she could help it and why shouldn't I hit her she hit me and often I tell this story in workshops and, and say to parents you can understand why that would cause resentment in in that little child what could a parent say differently and I asked them to try and think about what might help in that situation. And what really would have helped would be have been if my mother had said to me, I wish your sister didn't hit you. 
But, you know, that's the only way she can express her anger. But I am sorry that she's hit, that she hit you. I would have felt seen and heard. I would have felt like my mum understood that, yeah, it wasn't fair. But the other thing that my mother could have done, even though she knew that she could say this forever and ever and it would make no difference whatsoever to my sister, but if she'd said something to my sister about don't hit your sister, who would it have made a difference to? It would have made a difference to me because I would have felt like the rules were the same, even if maybe the, you know, what came from that might not be the same. But that would certainly lessen a lot of the resentment and would help those children then feel differently towards their brother or sister. I think it's also important for families to talk about strengths and difficulties of the whole family. You know, one little girl said to her mum, well, Johnny's autistic, but I'm artistic. And another little one said to her mum, well, mum, you know, Sam has autism. I have asthma. What have you got? And I think that sort of um, being able to talk about the disability as being one part of that child and that they're respected and loved in the family. Um, but I think anything that helps those children come together, and again, as I said before, families might need some professional help with that to find ways that these kids can, can do something together and have fun. Now, for some children, that might only last for 10 minutes, um, but it's, it's constantly reinforcing that idea of this relationship. And so I think it's around avoiding certain things to which might add to the resentment, but also instigating some things that might help that relationship. And again, professionals should be able to help with that. Um, we've got more information in some of our materials around that. But yes, it's it's really about helping that relationship be stronger. Mm, mm. So helping the understanding and acceptance, but also helping with the interaction so that the siblings can be doing fun, good stuff together. That's right. Yeah. Uh -huh. you, you mentioned earlier that siblings have the longest relationship and they certainly can be the most important and influential people in children's lives along with their parents. And because of this relationship, it seems to me that siblings can contribute to their brother or sister's learning and development in really significant ways. What, what do you think about that and the siblings' contribution? Look, I think that for a child with disability, their siblings are really their first social network. Mm. And it's interesting that in the disability sector there's a lot of I guess, emphasis on a child with disability creating relationships in the community. And, yes, that's really important, but there's very little put into supporting those relationships within the family. And these children are going to spend the longest time together, really. And so I think it's interesting, too, that the Autism CRC put out a research report some time ago where they talked about papers that had been put out there around the factors that influence a child's development. And siblings were referred to as agents many, many times in that. Now, I don't like the term agent, but it shows, you know, the, the idea behind that is that these children influence the development of this child. And I think that's a very a key way that, you know, we learn social skills, we learn how to share all of those things in, with our siblings. Now, when there's a child with disability, 
that may change and it may look very different. And in some cases, as I said, it may need professional support to help those siblings be the best that they can be for each other. But that relationship is such a key one. And I also think that as they get older, siblings can play a big role in adulthood in terms of supporting that that person with disability. I think that the relationship is the most important thing, though, um, because I think regardless of whether a sibling plays any caregiving role or not, it's that relationship that's so important um, to a person with disability. And I think we need to move away from that whole care or terminology, especially with siblings. Um, I mean, I was very lucky with my sister that I didn't have to provide day-to-day care, sorry. Um, my parents had organised that when they were no longer able to, but she was very much a part of our lives and she adored my two daughters and my husband. And that relationship that I had with her was so crucial to her well-being and safety and all of those other things I mentioned earlier. Uh, and sometimes I'd take her to appointments and do those sorts of things, as all siblings do for each other when, when a sibling needs it. But you know, I think it is the relationship that we need to focus on, and I wish that there was more, uh, more emphasis put on that uh, within the disability sector. Mm, mm. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's a really important um, bit of thinking for us, those of us that are working in the sector, but also for families thinking about the importance of that relationship and how they can foster uh, relationships between their children and the importance of that social interaction and the learning that goes on between siblings. Yeah. And look, just to add that, you know, having said that, I recognise that there are a huge number of siblings who are contributing a huge amount of actual caregiving. Mm. Um, And people, I don't think, understand how much siblings are contributing and I certainly have a lot of contact with adult siblings and so I'm not taking away from that caregiving role at all, but I think it, for me the relationship is very important. And I think we shouldn't be calling young children who are siblings young carers. In some extreme cases they might be providing a lot of care, but I still think that it doesn't add to the dignity of the person with disability. You know, what 12-year-old boy wants his 8-year-old sister to be known as his young carer? No, mm. she's his sister and sometimes she supports him and, helps him do things, um, but I just think that that's, siblings often have different experiences than maybe young carers who are caring for a parent, mm. and there's certainly some overlap, but I think that it's interesting too that in um, other countries they do use the term caregiving, which is what I tend to use rather than, you know, me being your carer, I'm providing caregiving. And I think it's less of a power imbalance, if you like. And, you know, I know it's only a sort of very minor thing, but I think language can have a big impact. Yes, yes. I agree with you. And uh, um, it's a little like the sort of help giving uh, terminology that's used uh, elsewhere in other contexts as well. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about the resources. You mentioned that Siblings Australia has has got a lot of resources. You've certainly been doing a lot of research and advocacy at Siblings Australia. Um, Can you tell us about the the kind of resources and peer support programs that are available? Sure. Um, And we've just revamped our website, which has a lot of information itself for parents and professionals and also adult siblings who might be juggling 
as I said earlier, the different roles that they might play. And as part of that revamp, we've also included links in the website to our SIBWISE online learning program, uh, which is we've only just launched. And that is for parents and professionals. Um, we were going to separate it, but then we decided to put them together to have the same learnings. We asked them different questions, but I think it's really important for parents to see what we're suggesting that providers do. And I think it's important for providers to understand what we're suggesting to parents. And that learning program has three uh, young children that we um, tell different stories related to them and with illustrated stories. And um, it has videos and little stories and other resources. And it's a very comprehensive program. And parents can claim that through the NDIS plan. It comes under parent care training. Mm -hmm. We also provide one-on-one -on -one support to parents through the NDIS. Again, they can use that same line item, parent care training for people who want to maybe, you know, I then can go into more focus on that particular family and their particular concerns. But the SIBWISE learning really is a very comprehensive way for parents to understand more about how they might support siblings. And it's not difficult. You know, it's interesting when I run workshops for parents and professionals, there's often a lot of light bulb moments of shaking head and they're very simple things. You know, it's not rocket science and, and it doesn't mean upending how they're operating, but it's just some key things that they can consider we're also have been spending a lot of time reviewing our SIBWORKS program, which is a peer support program for young children, 8 to 12. And um, we're about to launch in about a month uh, another online training for people who want to be registered SIBWORKS facilitators. And we're hoping that that will roll out around Australia. We have a lot of parents contact us asking for you know, programs where their siblings can go and meet with other children. It's such an important way of supporting siblings. We wouldn't dream of saying to a parent of a child with disability, well, you have to wait 40 years before you meet another parent. And yet we have siblings come to us in there, you know, as adults who've never had contact with another sibling. And so that program, I'm really excited. We've run it ourselves in the past, but we really feel that we need to train others to run that program so it can be in people's own locations and, and be much more accessible. So hopefully we'll, um, we'll get a lot of interest in that. Mm -hmm. And we're also developing more for teens this year and um, uh, it's a tricky group to reach out to and, and have contact with, but we're really hoping to engage with more teen siblings um, this year. We also have peer support options for adult siblings. We do a range of things for them. We've got a Facebook closed group and we run webinars and we've got a lot of information and we're developing a resource specifically for them. So I think that's about it. I don't think I've missed anything, but yes. <laughs> well, what's, what's, I mean, it's impressive, the, the work that's being done, but also I'm so pleased to hear so many options are available online now for families uh, so siblings can connect with each other. We're all much more au fait with using um, <laughs> a, a range of technology. Uh, COVID has given us that ability, hasn't it, to connect well, with families? Exactly, and it's sort of been the 
hidden benefit in some ways um, of taking more things online, which makes them much more accessible in many ways. And, mm. of course, the other big thing you, you mentioned, research, we've done some of that, but also the advocacy. And, you know, I've spent many years meeting with politicians and policymakers and, and really siblings need to be have a greater um position in policy there you know there's a lot of policy around family but you don't have to drill down very far to find that it really means parent and the child with disability and we just need to have more recognition that siblings are on this path as well but they need capacity building too they need to be able to build their capacity to manage these things across their lifetime really mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting isn't it um Kate I think I think you're right that often uh, we talk about, when we talk about family, we're often talking about the parents and the child with a disability and the the siblings are uh, often forgotten in that picture in terms of the range of support they need, the the understanding and acceptance they need. Mm. Exactly, and I think dads are overlooked often as well, and I think we need to do more in this policy area about supporting parents in those early years because... Mm. We know that a lot of these relationships break down and it's not surprising at parents. The disability of a child means different things to different people and it can be very difficult for those two to support each other. And I think if we could put a bit more effort into that in the first instance, um, you know, would be terrific. But also taking a whole family approach and there's a lot of mention of family-centred practice these days and you know, that's to be lauded and and whatever. But I think often family-centred doesn't mean whole family. Mm -hmm. And we need to say that really best practice is family-centred but also whole family because a whole family is affected and a whole family can contribute. But we really need to put in those supports to make sure that we nurture those relationships so that the sibling is there later in life as well. Um, but also for the benefit of the sibling themselves. Yes. Kate, is there any final thoughts that you have that you'd like to share with parents or siblings or professionals that are listening to our podcast? Look, I think we just need to be mindful that siblings are important too. Mm -hmm. And for siblings, my message would be if you're a little bit older to reach out to supports, reach out to us, reach out to, um, you know, counsellors, school counsellors, anyone that you think might be helpful. But first of all, obviously it would be best if you can talk to your parents. For parents, again, I think it is around remembering that these children are going to have many of the same feelings as you, but without that maturity to manage that. And also for providers to think, well, you know, why would you not think about the person who's going to have the longest relationship with this person and really try and nurture that as much as you can? And and then I think if families are able to access that support, then not only are they going to function individually much better, but they're going to be a much more supportive family and and you were going to come back earlier, you mentioned about the positives and certainly siblings can take a lot of positives away from their experiences. They can learn greater compassion and empathy and and an understanding of difference. They can learn skills to contribute to a career, but they also 
can experience a lot of challenges that can impact their mental health. And so we need to keep that balance. So, yes, I hope people will go to our website, get some resources there and, and be in touch if there are other ways that we might be able to support them. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Kate. I think it's a nice place to end to be thinking about that balance, about the benefits and contributions of siblings, but also being mindful of some of the very real and, as you call, big feelings that uh, children might be experiencing. And I, I think you've certainly helped us understand that siblings are important too. So thank you for your wisdom. We'll be putting information on the link to the podcast about Siblings Australia so that people can access further information. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Kate reminded us that sibling relationships are often the longest relationships that people will have. She also reminded us how complex and ever-changing these relationships are and that there can be added complexities when one of the siblings has a disability. Most siblings who have a brother or sister with disability indicate there are both positive and not so positive things about their experience. Kate reflected that when she shared her own experience of having a sister with cerebral palsy. Kate talked about the big feelings that many siblings experience, such as guilt, worry, anger, confusion, or even resentment. Big feelings that they may not have the tools to understand or manage when they are young. But we heard from Kate about the ways parents can help children feel listened to and understood. And she shared her thoughts about the importance of parents building strong relationships between siblings, even in very simple ways, like doing things together that both siblings enjoy, having fun together. Siblings adjust to having a brother or sister with a disability in diverse ways. With support, siblings can make a great life for themselves and build a strong relationship with their brother or sister. You'll find many supports and resources for siblings, parents and professionals on the Siblings Australia website at www.siblingsaustralia.org.au. And if you're interested in the book Kate mentioned that she wrote back in 2014, it's called Siblings, Brothers and Sisters of Children with Special Needs. Thank you to Kate for sharing her personal experience of being a sibling and all the wisdom and insight that that brings. And thank you for her professional knowledge and expertise that she's also used to further services and supports for siblings of people with disability. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Family Voices. Make sure you subscribe on your podcast app And feel free to leave a review to help us gain more of an understanding of what types of conversations are helpful to you. More information about the podcast can be found on ekiavik.org.au. Until next time, thank you for listening.